Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikuchi, and this is the Jazz's Podcast. Lights flashing right behind you. The bright colors of red and blue. Cars passing, going on their way. Unaware this may be your last day. In the mirror, you begin to look. You can't stay still, you're completely shook. Everybody knows it's the new Jim Crow. Hello everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt Mikuchi here welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call The Jazz Is Podcast and is brought to you in conjunction with Jazz Is Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Is editors and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. And I'd like to take this opportunity to wish you a happy new year and announce to you that the first guest of our Jazz Is podcast series of 2023 is Aaron Myers, a jazz artist and advocate based in Washington, D.C., known for his mastery at the piano and his one-of-a-kind vocal range. Myers is fast becoming one of the names in jazz to know, and further proof of this statement can be heard in the Pride album the powerful album of original compositions and arrangements of classics that he released in 2021 and speaks to his musical talents, offering an exceptional fusion of his artistry and of his activism. So fire up on Audio Teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is our conversation with Aaron Myers. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to the Jazz Is podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm a great fan of Jazz Is. And, and I'm really excited uh, about chatting with you. Uh, you know, the, your music, your activism too, I want to get into, and your journey. In fact, uh, Aaron, one of the things that I love to kind of start these podcasts is a bit of an icebreaker maybe, but also because I'm kind of just curious to find out, to always find out. Do you have an early musical memory from childhood that when you think back to it, you realize might have been important to you and maybe even helped you realize that you'd like to become a musician uh, when you grow up? Well, I can tell you the earliest musical memory I have, my grandparents had a piano that I think Jesus played. It was an old upright piano, uh, probably from the early 1900s or so. And it sat in the living room and I remember growing up, always, you know, walking past the piano and having to touch it. I mean, just, I mean, an urge to touch and to feel it and to make noise. And I remember whenever I would hear theme songs on television, I would want to try to recreate those theme songs. Uh, and before I knew it, I was trying to re- recreate those songs on the piano and I was playing it. So I started playing the piano when I was three. And my earliest musical memory um, is not that of a sound, but it's actually of the object, the piano itself. Yeah, like an urge. 
yes, a complete urge. It's I'm astounded that everybody doesn't play the piano because to mm. me, it's I, I feel like everyone can. It's it's the one thing that has made the most sense to me in my life. And I look at it as another part of my body. Um, and when people say they can't play the piano, I'm just I'm amazed because in my opinion, I think everyone ought to play the piano. And I feel as if everyone has the ability to play the piano. But but did you come from, like, was your family musical? Did you listen to, a, did they listen to a lot of music? Was there always music in your house? Well, yeah, well, a music of some sort. My mother was all, was a DJ in um, college, but my mother, uh, the band director at our school, in high school, where we're from, I'm from a very small rural, I guess you'd say in Ireland, a village, you know, a little town. Um, yeah. And sharecropping town uh, grew up next to cotton fields and my the band director from the school where i grew up um and that my mother went to had approached my grandparents about having her join the band they said that she was already the best sight reader they had uh, but my family couldn't afford for her to do it and so she wasn't able to um all of the girls um, had some sense of piano lessons to a degree. Um, and my aunt Anne took to it more so than anyone else, but all the girls sang a bit. And I remember holidays coming together. There would always come a point in the day when we would all harmonize and sing gospel songs together. It was always a part of that, um, of that, of that, that moment of us being together. So, um, and were you encouraged? Would you have been encouraged to play, but also sing? Uh, well, actually, the singing part—I've always—I've always said that I have a teacher's voice, uh, a, a, a piano. I'm, I sing as a pianist. Um, hmm. I've always felt that way, and I feel like most pianists who teach uh, choirs or chorales or uh, singing aggregations—I've always felt that they have to teach parts in some way, but I, I, I'd i say I started liking my voice about 15, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but I've always really? sang. I've sang in church. Oh yeah, I've always sang in church. It's all, and the imposter syndrome that we all deal with as, our, as artists. Um, I remember I had um, written a song when I lived in Hollywood and I had gone into the booth uh, to do what would be called the scratch vocals for uh, the person I'd wanted to sing it. And the engineer um, said, well, you know, man, you ought to sing this yourself, brother. You sound great doing this. Oh, no, 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 I can never. No, this is for someone else to do. And uh, once I got over that fact, and I said, well, I might as well go ahead and really embrace that other people might enjoy hearing me sing. And I might want to uh, enjoy hearing myself do this as well. And once I've made the decision that I kind of dig my voice, I dig my vibe. It's it's unique. It's I, I'm not a first tenor. I'm not a, an Al Jarreau or Bobby McFerrin. I don't have that Mel Torme range of being able to go so high. And although I have a lower register, I don't have the the quite the boom uh, that a Joe Williams has. Um, I kind of fall. In that line, that the, the Billy Eckstein and uh, Johnny Hartman, uh, that that type of area, you know, with a with a little bit of tinge of Nina Simone 
uh, to a degree, I would say, you know, absolutely. Because I mean, you know, I mean, I, 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 I love the way you sing, and and oh, just okay. having listened to the 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 Pride album, it's sick, which I definitely want to talk about more later. I felt like also uh, it was about like you know the 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 lyrics themselves. You know, you just have that voice that's able to communicate so much power and just make those words come alive. Uh, even, you know, just whether it's original or classic uh, compositions. Like, I love the version of Moaning on the album. And that outro, oh, it really, like, seems to come from somewhere deep, right? Well, when I, th- when I thought of the song, when I thought about listening to Moaning and what I've heard it to be, you know, all these years, you, you know, years ago when it was first recorded, you heard that, yes, Lord, you know, uh, everyone, I'm, yes, Lord, da 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 yes, Lord. I, I always thought about the moaning that we do. You you moan when words don't suffice. You know, when words can't suffice the pain, the anguish. Mm. And in this particular moment, I literally could close my eyes and picture the names of the people that caused me to moan, to moan their 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 murders, especially when it's by people who are sworn to protect you. Oh my God! I um, or it's a system that is supposed to uplift you. I just I and I wanted to really express w- what that had morphed into vocally for me and musically for me and when that when something like that happens like this is a very specific thing but it's interesting that you brought it up but what what does that feel like i mean is that a relief when when it manifests itself into something like let's say the the outro and the you know moaning from from the album from the pride album it's vulnerability at its highest because when you're doing that outro and it's amazing when I've had to do that, um, perform uh, that before live before a live audience, there are different ways uh, that I uh, I do that outro. The way that it's recorded and the way we recorded it requires me to be so vulnerably as naked, practically, emotionally, and creatively that when I come back to myself, the fear. Is will anybody be left in the room? W- would that vulnerability be so raw that the audience would have decided to leave? Or could they not take it? Would it be fair to impose upon my audience the love, the heaviness that I feel? Would it be fair to ask them to share that load for a moment with me? And I think that, that that's, that's how that feeling, that's how it feels when I'm in that particular moment with different songs when it comes to that that level of vulnerability. Well, it's fascinating what you're saying and it's actually, I've never really heard anyone put it quite like that and especially putting an emphasis on vulnerability. Uh, do you remember uh, maybe listening to music, let's say in your formative years and realize that that was a way to do things? Because possible, sometimes I feel that maybe like a lot of artists would do the, the opposite. They would run away from situations like that. They try to avoid it or somehow maybe just conceal it. But you're saying, what you're saying, it seems like it's the opposite. When did you have that w- w- awakening or was there an awakening? Well, the church uh, is a place 
where you are taught to regularly and uh, to be regularly vulnerable creatively uh, when you are singing a, a hymn or a church song or spiritual of that nature. And you become overwhelmed with emotion and you and tears begin to well in your eyes. And there is a a church, a congregation full of people who are encouraging that vulnerability to, to come out. That's where they want to live with you. And it moves and as you openly move them, uh, they become um, vocal and audible themselves with you. Um, I remember one of the first times I went to the Village Vanguard to see a show, I went to see the Heath Brothers. And it just so happened I was sitting next to Jim Heath's wife. And I have a tendency in shows when I go, when I'm an audience member, if you have said something musically that has moved me, I'm usually vocal. I'm the best. I've been told I'm one of the best audience members you can have if you're not. I'm, you will be encouraged if I'm enjoying the show. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, um, they, they hit some lit there. I was like, yeah, man, that's it. You know, I can't help that. But yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm in the group. And um, uh, this, I don't know if he was a security. I don't know who the, who the hell he was, but came over there. He kind of asked me about kind of, I was not being disruptive, mind you. I wasn't being obnoxious. I'm not that audience member. But he just kind of came over there to me and said, kind of touched me a little bit. And Jimmy Heat's wife or whomever was accompanying him said, uh, no, 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 leave him alone. That's what we're here for. Right. Yeah. A lot of times we forget. Uh, there was an interview that Joe Williams said regarding um, rhythm players. And he said that it was a shame that many rhythm players had never had to play this music to a, uh, to a dancing audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that vulnerability, I, I am accustomed to being vulnerable on stage, but I get scared being vulnerable on stage musically, sometimes in the jazz world. Because unlike the church world, uh, the church world is expected, anticipated that you might fall into that moment if you're listening to someone sing um, a gospel song. But in the jazz world, you don't know if you're going to get that. And sometimes I wonder if the if I laid it on the audience um, unexpectedly, would they be prepared to uh, reciprocate that or even hold the load for me and accept that vulnerability with love? That's always the chance. Will the will will the will the audience hear me? Will they understand where I'm coming from? Will they see me in this vulnerability without all of the glitz and glamour? Your your voice your voice doesn't wear clothes. Your voice is naked. Will they see? Will they will they see you that way? I always tell people you you know you're in love with somebody when you can allow them to see you naked and sitting down, because. <laughs> gravity's not there to help you all the roles are vulnerable and you're out there well they still love you in that sense and that's the same way it is vocally and musically to me do you find that that approach that that kind of way of thinking about you know playing music it also helps you in communicating important messages because you know there's the music side of things beautiful melody groove and rhythm but then there's also the message there's also your activism and and you're you know, your art is very much uh, interlinked with activism, with Absolutely. just, there's a political side to your music as well, right? I feel that's part of my um, 
my duty as an artist. Um, it's the, whereas the worker, the laborer, um, can't go into the boss's house and demand fair wage and fair pay. Um, my music can enter their home and there could be something in my music that could be said that could cause them to be more fair to their employees and employers. Whereas the marginalized person cannot always knock on the door of their representative, whether it's local, county, government, or even the, or the state, national, federal level. Um, they may not be able to meet their congressperson um, or, or in your, in your their MP speaking in your world. Um, but my music can enter them, enter their home. My, my music could possibly cause them to write some laws that could be more fair and to see, to see folks go. Can we just fall and love again even if for an evening can we just fall head over here with no regard to an ending just to hold you in my arms. Forgetting there is a world beyond us Just to walk hand in hand Planning for the adventures upon us Can we just fall in love again? The track you are hearing is a highlight from the Pride album by Aaron Myers, released in 2021. We'll get back to our conversation with the artist in a moment, but I also wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz's Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz's editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz's, jazz's.com, and these Jazz's podcasts. Go to jazz's.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. And now, let's get back to our conversation with Aaron Myers. Forgetting there is a world beyond us. Just to Can I ask you then the question? Because like earlier you talked about feeling a, an urge, just being drawn to the piano from an early age. I think you said you were three years old or thereabouts. 
and then you know that, that what about the, the this political side was that has that been a part of you in one way or another from an early age is that another kind of urge that you had to communicate because you're you're you know from what what I know about you what I've read about you and what what I kind of just you know even listen to your music that's a very real side to you. I mean, I think I think I read at some point you also campaigned campaign to run for mayor of, was it Corsicana? Yes, yes, I was 20 years old. Yeah, so I mean, exactly. So I mean, it's like, it's a real thing when you talk about it. Uh, so has that also been an urge or just as much as uh, that, that piano was to you? Was... Yes, I would have to say um, it was, I can, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, duty. My grandparents and uh, in this very small little um, hamlet, I guess it's a little small uh, town. The town my grandparents lived in was the population at the time of 312 people, mind you. And behind their house, they had about a half an acre of land, a lot. And um, they would, uh, they put a garden back there. That garden would be full of radishes and greens and tomatoes and everything you can imagine and what they would do is that they would open that garden up to folks in the community and they only had one rule that you could go out there and pick you something but don't get too much leave something for someone else at no charge at zero charge i would walk with my grandmother on sundays at church they would read off a list of people who were sick and infirmed in the community Many of the older people who no longer could, you know, get outside of their houses. And my grandmother would walk our community. She didn't drive. She would walk. I would go with her sometimes and she would visit these people. And sometimes you go to a person's house and, and eat the dishes done. So she did that and would make them feel seen and heard and loved, you know. And so I've always grown up knowing that um, you have a sense of responsibility that you're supposed to give to this community, this this space you live in, this space you occupy. You're, it, it, it's something that has just been ingrained on me, in me, that, you know, if you, if you can't walk there, maybe your music can meet you there. You know, I was in, um, I was in Russia when the invasion started on tour. Right, you were. Yes, I was in, matter of fact, I had just done my first show and I had traveled uh, by car that night through the Delmude and the morning of the invasion, I was just arriving into a town called Tagliati in Tagliati in, uh, in Russia and I got a message from the State Department, you know, oh, well, Putin uh, has began its invasion into Ukraine. And I knew the tensions were high. And I, before I had left, I had called the State Department uh, and talked to somebody in one of the outposts. And um, I had speaking to some former diplomats, um, just gauging what the danger level would be. Um, because the goal was that if enough music some of us felt, and with my contacts that are in Russia, the idea was that we would launch this jazz revolution tour again so that 
if there's enough music and art coming there that maybe Putin will change his mind. I believe music is that powerful. It didn't work, unfortunately. That didn't work. He began his um, he began his invasion, and then I had to begin the painful task of trying to figure out how I was going to actually get out of Russia because yeah. wow. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And with everything and all the roadblocks, and I know we don't have that much time on this podcast to go into it, but sometimes if you ever want, I would tell you the the, the journey it took to get out of Russia. And I oh. practically had to flee Russia because they didn't want me to leave. And I did not have any assistance from anyone on the inside of Russia to get away. And the American State Department uh, in your y'all's country to be the home office that told me uh, that um, basically said on the website, you know, if, you, if anything happens, you have to be responsible for your own way of getting out. You know, the mm. U.S. government can't really support you in getting home. And so I had to wow. get out. But I am a strong believer that the power of this art and what we call jazz and everything else can really change the minds of governments. It can really uplift the circumstances of marginalized people. Um, this The music we play is so powerful that when a person doesn't have words, they play a song to express their love, their grief, their anxiety, their anger, their hope, their angst. That's how powerful this music is. And I take that seriously and I take it as a duty that it, I must I must think of my fellow man, woman, my fellow human um, as I'm doing, as I'm trying to uh, do my art. Thank you for sharing that story because that's, that's, that's an amazing story. I, I was in Russia myself not too long before the invasion. And uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, you know... I, I was actually in the in the Kremlin theater for for a jazz concert event that was invited oh. there, and everybody oh. was friendly. I I mean I can't say anything bad about anybody. You know, it was Wynton Marsalis. <laughs> he was there with Igor Butman, and um, oh, it was a wonderful. Yes. Yeah, and he I mean he's a nice guy too. You know, I don't know anything about. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I mean I know you know it's it's a terrible situation that we find ourselves. It was a beautiful experience because Moscow is just such an amazing city and I, I was a dream come true for me. But there was definitely moments in the Kremlin Theater when I just had these thoughts and I was like, well, if something happened, we would be, you know, I can definitely see how the situation would not be easy. I mean, um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, you, know, you know, it's unfortunate. I've seen more of Russia than Russians have seen. When I did my first tour through Russia in 2019, um, I did a 20-city tour. I took 19 flights in six weeks. And I have seen a great... My favorite city in Russia is a place called Novosibirsk. And I said, when I left, when I was about week, week two of me being in Russia, in America, there is a sense of identity um, where you don't feel... I don't feel... Terribly American, I am. I feel African American. The black, my color, is a distinct part of who I am in the United States of America uh, because of the level of racism that comes with that. Uh, you own, you pay a price for being black here, um, both passive and aggressively. But about week two, 
of me being in uh, Russia and the pure hospitality of many of the people um, uh, and, and small, especially small towns and large, um, I forgot and me not experiencing and living with the um, American racism that goes along with being black. I had forgotten for a moment that I would have to put up with that. We, I got a chance, even if it was propaganda, What even if it was the Russian government doing everything they could to orchestrate one of the best experiences that I could possibly have, even if that was the case, um, I can honestly say that I, I did not feel the, the oppression of being, of the, my color, that the, the oppression that would be associated with being black in, uh, as, as just as a, as a human being, I didn't feel any of that. I felt believed um, as a human being. And I don't speak much Russian, so they could have been saying terribly racist things to my face and I would not have understood it. But I didn't feel it. I wasn't left with that impression. Um, and But I did notice that the country was terribly poor. And I didn't notice that there was a, a stark financial and socioeconomic divide between the haves and the have-nots. And I, I felt the true appreciation of the music. Uh, one of the um, people, one of my audience members was so moved by one of my concerts, he autographed my, he tattooed the autograph of my name on his, on his arm. Um, it was absolutely just phenomenal. Then the moment I had flown back to the United States and I was in the airport, at Dulles Airport in, in Virginia, I was just met with the feeling that America is a rich country, very rich country, and we're a very privileged country just by being able to breathe in fresh air. Um, but there's a price you pay for it. And as an African-American, it is a systemic racism. And it doesn't have to be that way. And of course, uh, a lot. some of those sentiments are to be heard in the Pride album. Uh, which is a definitely, I mean, it's, it's a really powerful record. Uh, the word pride, though, it's, 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 it's interesting to me. Uh, does, what does pride mean to you? Uh, uh, why did you choose this, this word as the title of, as part of the title of the album? You know, I'm a, I am from the zodiac sign, San Juan. I'm a Leo. And, oh, um, yeah. I've always, um, what, what's your sign? What are you? I don't believe in I'm a Libra. Religion. You're a Libra, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't believe in generalizing people according to their signs, but it's there are some very stark coincidences by people who share certain zodiac Yeah, I just like feel the same. Is there yeah. something to it? It's, yeah, there's something uh, to it. Something I don't know what it, it is, but it's, I think it's chemical, actually. I think, you know, the way the yeah. atmosphere chemically pulls on the body, we're, you know, we're a majority water and fluid. And if you're born with a certain draw, I would say, with all that water, you're, you're chemically fit in a certain way. I said, well, I don't know. Nonetheless, um, when I think of a lion, I think of a lion's pride, the family. What is the strip of that, of that group, that power group, that dynamic? And I believe in the words of Maya Angelou when she said that when she would step on stage, that she, the stage was crowded with her ancestors. Uh, because they move with her wherever she goes. And so I look at my pride as being the ancestors, my family, those who've gone on, those whose, uh, whose, whose shoulders I stand on top of. 
uh, and whose uh, hands lift me up and whose backs paved the way when they were living for me to do what I'm doing today. And so that's my pride. And I invite, it's the idea and the goal of the Pride album to invite those who listen to the album, who understand and who hear, to join my pride, to join my family. And if I am so fortunate, they would allow me to, to be a part of their, their tribe, a part of their pride, a part of their family. So that's where the word came. Uh, is it true that the album was made during the pandemic, during the COVID pandemic? It was. We, I, started, I started doing the research. I had to do the market research on how I was going to measure success with this project because oftentimes we in the jazz community, we look at the success and the influence those idols that we look up to may have had. Um, um, and we try to emulate that same success, but there's a different market share. It's a different audience, a different way we have to look at this. So I started doing the work for this album and about uh, August, September, the first meeting I had about this album was in July of 2020. And um, we recorded it in February of 2021. Yes. And um, before the vaccines or anything, and what we tried to do was be as safe as possible. Everyone had to test before they went. It's uh, as odd as I think of it today. Uh, everyone had to test before um, um, they went into the studio. And there was one person I wanted to be on the project, but we couldn't, I couldn't get them to work with it because they wouldn't test. And I wasn't going to jeopardize the lives. I had lost, I lost an uncle to COVID. I lost uh, a dear cousin of mine passed away to COVID. Several family friends died, and then several friends of mine died. So I, the COVID, the, the, the pandemic was a large period of loss for me personally. And ironically, the song, uh, Please Take Care of You For Me, that's on the album, was inspired by uh, a woman that went to my church. Her name was Carolyn Colbert. And she uh, died of, uh, of cancer. And her um, parting words were always to say, you know, please take care of you for me. And your response was, I'll take care of me for you. And um, in doing that, um, during the pandemic, when it set up, I thought about that phrase. And that phrase helped me, helped me to help me to help me, I would say. It helped me to cope with what was going on. And it helped me to ensure that I would wear a mask and I would do all the things I needed to do to protect, protect my, my friends and loved ones. And it was my prayer that they would do the same for me. And um, it's just ironic how all that kind of came together for me. Yeah, because, uh, and another thing that I was wondering, listening to these songs, uh, was whether you would have conversations with the musicians, maybe share stories amongst yourselves, because I feel like, you know, say a track like The New Jim Crow, yes. which is this really powerful song, but it's also, you know, it's it's, it's a lively song, you know, it's like, yes. it's, it's, it's a very touching kind of a song full of meaning that you... It's really also a, a, a very enjoyable experience to listen to. Um, it, but is there like a, some type of psychological preparation before you actually start playing the music? Yeah, especially like with the new Jim Crow, for instance, it was um, someone inspired by Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn. 
And oh, if you notice the, how Mississippi goddamn is played, it's not played as a dirge. It's played with a little spirit, little, 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 little jaunt to it, you know. And as I recorded this project, before we had a group rehearsal, I met with each in, each in, uh, individual, each musician, one-on-one, and I laid out the entire album with them, the story of it, where I was coming from and how they could relate to what we were trying to do, one-on-one with each individual, the entire album, so that when we came together to create, to co-create and to collaborate on putting this music together, um, everybody was, un- we all walked in un- aware of the mission. We all walked in aware of what we wanted to say with this um, album. And um, it was it's the first time I approached an album like that, from that approach. Usually you sit out the music, you get together, you, you, you play around and see what sounds good with each other and you and you're, you're 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 getting everyone's in the room and we're all of course collaborating but we we are we're getting the language together to you know uh, uh, once we're all have met but in this instance i needed to i needed to make sure in each musician understood my language and i understood their language before we met up together all at once so that we had a better understanding of intentionality of speaking the same language once we were in the room with each other, once we, once we were in the rehearsal hall with each other. And I think for me, it changed the way that I do all projects. You know, I'm, I'm preparing to work on a project uh, called Kingdom, uh, the Kingdom, the Kingdom album, or Kingdom project. So its name is just called Kingdom. And it's a double album because it's Kingdom is jazz and Kingdom come would be gospel. But um, the idea with Kingdom is that I did my ancestry DNA and each track on the album will be inspired by uh, the country that makes up my ancestry DNA. So that means that I might be doing more collaborations with artists from some of these countries. Um, I'm doing massive research, but the musicians that will record this album with me will be given research so they'll know that we're why we have created what we have created together so that we're staying true to that particular form in a sense. Wow. That sounds amazing. Well, we'll definitely, I'm looking forward to it already. Oh, okay. uh, Cause I enjoy, I really enjoyed the pride album so much. I just thought it was uh, just such an amazing album. You know, another oh, track it. that I love from the record is the tribute to Chick Corea. Oh, return to Spain. I believe I just, it's such a nice, it's such a, you know, beautiful kind of track, you know. You know, he died the week. I actually, I used to have a radio show on uh, the Pacifica Network, WPFW here in Washington. And, hey, I heard um, about that jazz stories, right? Yeah, jazz story. And I broke his death on the air. Live, he died. I was live on the air. And ironically, he died either the day that we were going to rehearse or the day after or before. But he had just passed away as we were preparing to rehearse that song. Wow! 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 Well, it's it's a yeah, it's it's a great it's a great tune. It's I, I love the album. You know, I just remind our listeners it's called the Pride Album, and definitely recommend it. Uh, Aaron, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. It's been a it's been great. You know, I appreciate you, I, and I do encourage the listeners to we 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 have got to support. 
uh, organizations uh, and magazines and um, those uh, uh, who are reporting and supporting and promoting uh, the musicians and the music. I know it's overwhelming thinking of the things that we're going through together right now. I know that I am always thinking of tomorrow and the things that didn't happen somehow. The need appears too great, too great for me to help, to help all that I can. I can make I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Aaron Myers and make sure to check out the Pride album, which he released in 2021. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to also check out our Jazz Is Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyls mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzis.com and click on Join Vinyl Club at the top of the page for more. And as music from the Pride album plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz's podcasts, our print magazine, and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzes.com. And if you like what you see there, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. Please take care of you for me.